All right. Questions and answers. Ron? Oh, sorry. Got to get a mic. Um, your message this morning was a lot more complicated than when I was a, a young Catholic boy. So um, the Catholic Church just taught um, works and faith, and don't worry about the rest. And yeah. We'll let you know what you need to know. Yep. Now, I, I appreciate you saying that, Ron, because as someone in the Catholic Church, you're saying this was reality for me. But I'm confident that if I told a priest or a theologian in the Catholic Church that, they'd say, oh, no, 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 we'd never do that. And then they'd give me all of the complicated explanation. So I appreciate you, you kind of confirming what I suspected, which was I can simplify this validly, even though I'm leaving out a whole bunch of things they'd probably want said. When we talked a little earlier, um, there was a movement in the 70s for more like an ecumenical type mm-hmm. of a Holy Spirit um, type of meetings in the Catholic Church. Yeah. And when you brought up questions to priests that were attending, and then those that didn't believe in that, there was kind of a split, um, they really got very defensive. And so then they would... Um, really refer to the Pope and the Vatican and, and the, the teachings of the church as opposed to the Bible. Yep. Yeah, there, there almost seems to be a, um, I don't think they would admit it, but there seems to be a desire to keep you out of God's word, which makes perfect sense if we start with the understanding that it's a false religion. Of course, Satan doesn't want you reading God's word. But yeah, <clears throat> don't, don't waste your time reading the Bible. You couldn't understand that anyway. Just listen to what we tell you it means. Jim, way over here, front left. Like Ron, I also was raised in a Catholic home and... Uh, And I still have a lot of several siblings who are Catholic. Um, and for me, even now, um, for someone who's not born again, this seems quite foreign, the simplicity of the gospel and God's grace. Uh, I think Catholicism would define grace by you do this, God does that in many ways. Um, for me personally, and, and I really believe this, in all the things that I could point out in the Catholic Church that are unbiblical, it all starts and ends with the gospel. Um, if, if they understood and believed the salvation message, all these other things would fall into place. They would see the folly of worshiping Mary and of um, purgatory and many other things. And uh, so I guess I'm thankful that we are in a church that preaches the truth of the gospel, the entire gospel, but especially starting with the salvation message. But, um, you know, in my experience, you can get wrapped up in all kinds of disagreements about what is truth and what is not, but it really starts and ends with the gospel. 
if in fact they understood that Christ's death and resurrection finished God's demands for righteousness and they believed that, then, then once again, everything would fall into place. So uh, just an observation. I guess I don't really have a question there. But. Yeah. Well, good observation. I don't have an answer to that observation. <laughs> Simeon? I would like to ask for a couple of clarifications on definition of terms. What is imputation and what is the difference between faith and belief? Okay, I'll start with the second one because that's real easy. There's no difference between faith and belief. Okay, so I can use those words interchangeably completely? completely. 100% interchangeable. The reason I say that is because in the Greek, there's only one word. Ah. It's the same word. Sometimes translated believe, sometimes translated have faith. So the Bible often will speak of faith as a noun and then believing as a verb. But it's the exact same word. I don't find that helpful at all. So I try, I try to use them interchangeably so that you know they're the same thing. Trust, you could add to that. To put your trust in something is the same thing as to have faith or to believe. They're identical. There's no difference. Imputation. Oh, yes, thank you. Uh, imputation. Uh, to, to be given the credit for something, to credit something to your account. So if it's imputed to you, it's an instantaneous transfer to your account. That, that's as simple as I can make it. I, I might be able to explain more, but I don't think I can make it any simpler than that. You didn't have something in your account. It was transferred to your account. It's imputed. So that uh, I, I, I could borrow a similar term that God could declare you righteous. He, that's a legal declaration. So a judge imputes uh, like legal you, things? You, yes, yeah. You can use it in a legal sense. You can also use it in a financial sense. Okay. So to impute something, for a judge to impute, it would be impute guilt or, or uh, innocence. That's what you, a judge would typically impute. But, and it yeah. happens immediately then? It's yeah, not it's not like, a gradual process. Yeah. Yeah. Now, and I say instantly, I say instantaneously, there's not like, well, over the next few months, you'll gradually have Christ righteousness imputed to you. No, it's at a moment in time, not over a long period of time. Oh, several. Lee up here. I'll save Matt all the running around and we'll go in geographical order. I have two questions. One is... What is dead faith? I don't believe I've ever heard that before. And the second one is, do we become more righteous by behaving righteously? Okay. Uh, Let me start with the first one. Dead faith. What is dead faith? Dead dead faith is what James says. So I'm borrowing that term from James. James says that faith is dead it's useless. So it's a faith, but it's like a tree. So you, you plant a tree. I, in fact, I have one of these in my yard right now. I need to pull up. I planted, a, I planted three peaches, peach trees, and, and uh, the deer. <laughs> the deer, eat those around. Yeah, God's creation and the deer won't, they, they will not be subject to me. I... <laughs> I've been trying to subdue these creatures and have dominion over them. 
<laughs> Adam, why? So the deer come and they, they eat it and they, they eat all the leaves and okay, I'll, hopefully it'll come back. And they eat the bark and then eventually the tree dies. Well, the tree is out there in my yard. I can look at the tree. It's there. In fact, in the springtime, I can't tell which one's alive. And in the winter, I can't tell at all. But in the springtime, I can't tell yet. Which one is it? And then I go out there and I look and I see, okay, this tree's dead. There's no sign of life on it anywhere. But here it is. It's just a tree. So that's a dead tree. Faith is the same thing. It's dead. It's no longer living. It is not connected to Christ. It's not plugged in, if you will. It's just a cord, but it's not actually charged, energized by Christ. So that's about as good as I can do. Follow-up question on that? or Well, it's like the cord. You can have a cord that's not plugged in. What, uh, say, explain. You just said it no longer is living. My tree. Well, but the faith. The fact is, the faith never was. Yes. It didn't die. It just never was. But, okay, so then what is it? What is dead faith? False faith. Yeah, that's fair. False face. It, it's it's a false tree. I don't get any fruit from it. This, yeah. But I'm just I, the only point I was making is it never was real faith. It because you can't lose your salvation, so you never had it. It was never. Uh, I mean, your 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 analogy fails a little bit because that once was a tree living and so forth. You you can't have faith and and have it die you never had it except Matthew 13 in the parable of the sower Christ tells this parable the sower goes out to to sow and some seed falls on the path and the bird comes and eats it right away and that's typically what we think of but then other seed falls on rocky soil and it sprouts up quickly and it grows and we think it's alive. That's the, that's the part I'd want to add in. We might think something's alive, but what happens to it? When the sun comes out, it dries up instantly because it has no depth of root, and it dies. So that's the il- illustration that Christ uses. And I'm trying to borrow that. It's kind of like a little plant that grew up quickly and then died before it ever bore fruit. I think that's legitimate biblically. Was it ever real? Well, no, it wasn't ever real because it never bore fruit. But in the plant world, sure, it was a real plant. But in the faith world, no, it was never real faith. Is that close enough? It's difficult to juggle so many different analogies and not cross streams. You you had a second question. I forget. Oh yeah, do, yeah, she said it. Do we, do we become more righteous by behaving more righteously? Yes and no. <laughs> yeah, we have six mics. We, 
Okay. All right. So um, do we become more righteous by behaving more righteously? And the answer is yes and no. It's primarily no, but there's an element of yes. Okay. The reason it's no, the reason that the answer is no is because we do not first behave and then become. We first become and then behave. And any behavior before becoming is worthless and dead. It's just like an unbeliever being a nice person because they're scared they're going to get in trouble if they don't. Okay? So we as believers become more righteous when Christ changes our hearts and from that new heart we begin to behave more righteously. Yes. So that's why I say primarily no, not, not at all. But then there is an element in which, yes, practically, we do behave more righteously as Christ transforms us. We do. We, we are changed. Paul even says that in, in Romans after he lists, or I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians, uh, such were some of you, you, but you were washed, you were cleansed. So we are transformed by him so that we're no longer um, uh, in the, the, these unrighteous, behaving in these unrighteous ways. Boy, Coach Jeremy's team is entirely undisciplined. <laughs> I just wanted you to say something too. That righteousness that occurs over time as we're being sanctified pales in comparison to the righteousness we receive as we're saved, that like, was imputed okay, to us. Like the moon pales in comparison to the sun, so our righteousness pales in comparison to the righteousness of Christ. And yet, the light of the moon is real. So is our righteousness. It won't, no, it will not save us, but it is real. And it's, it's genuinely like Christ, but it is not what saves us. You're not, you're not going to stay warm through the light of the sun. Sorry. So, yes, very much so. <laughs> the moon. You're not going to stay warm through the light of the moon. You will stay warm through the light of the sun. Okay, there was Deb, I think. Oh, what, just because it's Greg doesn't mean he gets to cut in line in front of Deb? Oh, all right, all right. Responsible. Oh, you're done? It's a, no, I'm not done, but this is completely different. So. Oh, okay. Okay, it's completely different, but sort of the same. <laughs> um, I grew up in an a area of the country that was way confused about the gospel. It used to be, historically very strong, saved by faith alone. And um, I was impressed as I read the history, the family history, and the documents from way back. Now, so my growing up was, you are 90, some percentage of what you are is caught, not taught. And I was surrounded by Catholics. In the family, out of the family, um, and even that 70s movement when they, we were in a Bible study that literally studied the Bible in college Mm. with a Catholic priest, 
And he was explaining to all the others what I had learned in a Bible-believing church because they were reading the scriptures. So I've been very confused about all this. Yeah. And it comes that, yeah, part of my, you know, how Pastor Jeremy's talking about the gospel light. Mm-hmm. Part of it is because it's so mixed up with this works stuff. Even after faith, if you're getting mixed up, in what you're doing, it's wrong. Anyways, what my question is right now, I've found the sermon and every sermon you guys preach on this kind of stuff helpful because it's all these things where you answer the wrong question, answer the question the wrong way, you know, Mm -hmm. with the same answer all the time, and it's like, what? Your analogies all over the lot are confusing to somebody that doesn't know. These I've found very helpful, but where I came today is what you're talking about, infused and imputed, and up at the top of the sermon, I made a note that says, okay, how is what the Catholics are doing, where they're using the word infused, how is that different than sanctification? And then you touched on it later in the sermon, but could you go over that again? Yeah. So, okay, so the infusion of Christ's righteousness is similar to what we would call sanctification. The major difference is, what's the basis of your salvation or justification? What's the basis of God justifying you? And if the basis is said to be your righteousness, then that was Christ's righteousness infused in you. That's what the Catholics would say. God looks at you and says, you are justified because you are just, because he changed you from an unjust to a just creature. We would say, no, before you become a righteous person, before you begin to act like a righteous person, God has imputed Christ's righteousness to your account so that you're given credit for Christ's righteousness even before you've done anything at all. Does that... Help. Good. It should hurt a little bit. I find your analogies where you talk to your kids. It's the same thing. Kids are very literal. Black, white, yes, no. Uh, what I do is right, I won't get a spanking. What I don't do is right, I'll get warped or whopped or whatever, spanked. And um, then they pass from that into understanding, you know, Mm -hmm. and sometimes, whether it's me, Catholics, whatever, we never progress to understanding what's really going on. Mm. (laughs) It's just a learning. Yeah. Yeah, we we have to keep coming back to it. Um, I find it helpful I I think a lot of us grew up in places where we heard the gospel presented in the same way every time. Um, How how many of you, that's, you always, the gospel was always presented in one way. And every year, is that what you said? Same thing. And then when we get to another passage of scripture where the gospel is taught, it's like, I don't get it. How, do, how does the gospel that I've heard my whole life fit with this passage? And so it's very helpful, I think, to use a variety of 
passages and analogies so that we get kind of the totality of Scripture. Because each analogy is only going to address a portion of the salvation um, process, the salvation work. Um, and then we'll need a new analogy for another one because they're all they're limited, they're finite, and God's salvation is infinite, broad, yeah. Um, so anyway, I don't know if I answered your, your question wholly, but thank, thank you for it. And uh, the, the infusion of Christ's righteousness, that we would call, we would never use infusion. I've never heard somebody say, you need Christ's righteousness infused in you. But that's similar to sanctification. Becoming in, in the way that we live, think, feel, the affections we have, becoming more like Jesus Christ. That is sanctification. God's making us little Christs. Okay, I think first over here. All right, Greg, you're deferred to. Well, this is probably not even necessary in this mature group of believers, but I I just felt compelled to remind everybody why we are contrasting what we believe to what Catholics believe. We, We don't ever talk about what the Mormons believe. We don't ever talk about Jehovah's Witnesses and so forth. We're we need to remember that we came from this group. We we protested away from this group who had uh, changed the gospel over the years uh, to to what they came to believe uh, back before the reformers. Then said, "Look, this this isn't right." We 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 have come to understand that what what is being taught is not correct. Yeah. Uh, and and so that we're not we're not picking on the Catholics. You know we have. We have no select reason to go after the Catholics. It's just that they were us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're reminding everybody why we're not the same. Yeah, yeah. And that, that, that reminds me, I think, of something, Jim, that you were, you were addressing, that there came a time in the Reformer's mind, Martin Luther in particular, where it, at the beginning of Martin Luther's journey, he was a, he was a priest. And so... As he's reading the scripture, as a priest, he's reading, he's coming into Romans, and he's like, this is amazing. Well, he gets saved in the middle of studying Romans and or Galatians. And from that, he thinks, I got to tell all the people in the church. I got to tell my whatever father over me, and I've got to tell this bishop and that. And he starts to tell everyone, assuming, of course, they're going to believe me and listen to me. Well, over the years, he realizes these, some of these guys are the enemy. They don't care about the truth. He goes, he visits Rome. Um, and in, in his visit to Rome, he's expecting finally to have the light kind of shine in his mind for him to realize like these are the wise and godly people. And what he's confronted with is an absolutely debased society where the, the priests are living in, in just debauchery. And of course, they can get away with it because they're the priests and they can get their absolution. You know, what it, So they're living in this wicked way. And what he realizes is, he begins to realize is, maybe this isn't reformable. Maybe we can't reform this church. Well, he's still very hopeful until um, it was the Diet of Worms in which he is excommunicated from the church. And in the excommunication from the church, that was his final hope. He realized there is no hope. I can't reform this church. There must be a new 
church. And that's how the, the Protestant, I think in a formal sense, that's when the, the Reformation began. Because up until that moment, Martin Luther was still hoping we can change the church. We can change the church. If we just get the right people, then we'll be able to change it. And at that mo- moment, he realized, no, we can't. We can't change the church. The church is dead. We have to have a new church. And that's where the Protestant church was born. And of course, that was his decision at that point. There were others left in the church that were still trying. They hadn't been kicked out, and so they kept trying. And then eventually a a, a lot of them left. Some of them stayed. Today, you might meet, it's possible that you might meet a Catholic who actually knows Jesus Christ as their Savior. They're Catholic in name, but they don't actually have any idea what the Roman Catholic Church teaches, and they just read their Bible, and they come to know the Lord through their Bible. And maybe they're not intelligent enough or sharp enough to figure out this totally contradicts what my priest thinks. No. It's a wonderful. God saves them through their ignorance. You don't want to say that. Hold on to the hope that they're not smart enough. If it's, another, if, if it's another reason, if they're smart enough to realize it, but they stay anyway, now you have the issue of corruption. Now they're staying and doing something they know they shouldn't. That's why I hold on to the hope that they're not, they haven't figured it out. That's all. I can hope that they're totally innocent and righteous and they just haven't figured it out. That's fine. But if they figured it out and then decided to stay, now you have a new problem of why did they decide to stay when they knew they shouldn't? And it gets complicated. Yes. You just, okay, so we cannot accomplish righteousness through wicked means. We agree with that? You can't accomplish righteousness through wicked means. It's kind of like missionary dating. Don't, look. You guys, you've not heard of this? It's when a believer thinks they're going to date an unbeliever and hopes to evangelize the unbeliever. Oh, don't do that. So, so Christ tells us, do not. What do you have in common with Belial? What does Christ have in common with Belial? Don't yoke an unbeliever with a believer. Don't yoke them together. It's going to not work out well. So you can't say, well, I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway, and I'm going to hope that I can evangelize them. Look, that, God can work. God can speak through Balaam's donkey. So don't assume he cannot work through evil you will be guilty for whatever evil you do, even if God works through it. Is that fair? So God worked, God worked through the, uh, the communist Russia to purify the church in Russia. How? How did he do it? Well, nobody would name the name of Christ unless they actually believed in it because the communists would imprison them. So what ends up happening in Russia? You get this pure, innocent, righteous church because no one would touch the name of Christ unless they actually believed in it. Does that mean the Russians were right to do that? No, of course not. It means that God can do anything he wants, but we better not use corrupt means to accomplish something righteous. So should a Catholic stay in the Catholic church in hopes of reforming it? That's an individual conscience issue. 
but you don't want to submit yourself to a wicked church, a corrupt priest or, or a, a pope. You don't want to do that willingly in hopes that God's going to do something good. That's my, kind of my thought is you don't, uh, you're playing with fire. Now, Amy, you wanted to ask something and then Ron? Oh, and then... Oh, okay, Ke- Kevin? If you're going to change the topic, by all means. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think that uh, this is all interconnected, but... Um, you said in your sermon that actually belief is different than faith because the demons believe. Mm-hmm. So we can't exactly use the Hebrew definition of belief and faith if they use the same word as the same thing because what we think of as belief and faith are different. So I, just, I, I think we should make sure we clarify that belief can be... S- satanic belief or demon belief. We, we can say we believe that that happened, but we don't want to submit to it. You see what I'm saying? When Simeon said the difference, there, there is a difference, at least to what we think of belief as and faith as. You, you are absolutely welcome to distinguish between believe and have faith. I have no objection to that at all. There isn't a distinction in in the Bible. So when James says the demons believe, he uses the exact same word that Paul does in Ephesians 2. We we are saved by faith. So that's all I'm pointing out is that the biblical authors aren't using a special word for believe here and a different word for faith here. They're using the same word. The context tells us they mean something different. So when they say the demons believe... Mm-hmm. Is that a different word? No, it's the exact same word. The demons believe. You see what I'm saying? You believe see how on that's the Lord confusing? Jesus and you will be saved. So here's what James is saying. You, be, you believe that God is one? <clears throat> Good for you. I think your faith is dead. I'll prove that there's such a thing as dead faith by telling you the demons believe that God is one. If the demons believe, what do they do in response to that belief? How do the demons feel about God's oneness, God's unity? The demons are probably more aware in some sense than any of us of how magnificent and glorious and one God is. And what's their response to it? I hate it. That's the difference between us and the demons. So they believe, they know, they're fully aware that God is one and they despise it. So today, we might meet people who say, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. He just better not tell me what to do. How do they feel about Jesus? They hate him. They don't want anything to do with him. They like that they might, he might give them a ticket into heaven, but they don't actually uh, love him at all. They're not trusting in him. So the demons believe. There's a sense in which believing incorporate it's a broader word and part of it could mean just yeah i believe in i believe uh, whatever i believe in santa claus i i believe in dragons whatever whatever no you don't 
So the demons believe that God is one, but they hate it. They despise it. We might believe in something, say we believe in something, but not live our lives according to it. And that's what James is getting at. So if it helps you to use a different word, by all means, go right ahead. That's fine. You, you can, so typically the English translations will use um, to believe as a verb and then faith as a noun. But you could just as easily translate to believe as have faith. Believe to have faith. You need them both. If, but, so they can't be different things. If, or they, can, they have to be different things if you have to believe and have faith. Because so you can believe and not have faith. You just said that. The demons believe, but they don't have faith. They don't live it out. That, 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 not, if, if, if you want to use have faith as saving faith, fantastic. Go right ahead. That's great. I have no objection to that at all. I don't think anyone would object to that. I'm just saying, biblically, that it's the same word. So it's the context that will tell you what is meant by it. But, uh, an, an, um, if you, if you read through the book of Acts, you get a few examples where somebody is said to believe and then they fall away. They leave. Demas is, is an example mentioned in, in the epistles. Um, but you get somebody who's said to believe, but then it turns out their belief, their faith is worthless. It's bankrupt. It's shipwrecked. It's, it hits the rocks and it's dead. So that faith, it, well, was their faith real? Well, in a sense, they had a faith, but what kind of a faith was it? It was a dead faith. It was a useless faith. It didn't make it to the end. It, it was corrupt and dead. But I'm not saying they didn't, but they were lying. Well, I'm not sure that they knew they were lying. I think they were deceived. They might have really thought they were saved only to come to find out, no, they weren't saved at all. It was the cute girl who was in the church, and that's why they came. Yeah. Happens. All right. <laughs> Connie? Why, we got to get the... Oh, yeah, Ron, and then, and then Connie. I wanted to reply. The question was asked, why not stay in the Catholic Church when you... Re, when you get saved to try and convert them. I attempted to do that, but there were just way too many tremendous conflictions that I had to deal with, and I felt I was living a lie because I knew the truth, yet I was in a church that only shared really part of the truth and not the complete truth. Mm -hmm. And so when I would try and witness to my Catholic friends, they would view me as, well, I'm pretty close to the believing what you believe and I had to really completely separate myself and then for example I could use a Catholic Bible with the Roman road I use that on several occasions to witness the Catholics because part of the Catholic Bible does have the truth mm-hmm. yep okay Connie well, I, was, I was just going to say that a lot of people say they believe in God but you wouldn't, you wouldn't even think of saying Jesus Christ. Hmm. They uh, just think that that's yeah. kind of a God, you know, any God. But then when you get down to it, they, they can't connect that with Jesus Christ. Right. So. 
Right, and if your trust is in Deep. God, and by God you mean Allah, right. or you mean some, yeah, right. you know, Hindu God, mm. one of many. Mm. Well, even yeah. here, in a, you know, local people would say mm -hmm. same thing, yep. God, and yet they're not, they don't know the true God. Right. You know, some of the men upstairs, or when you hear that, you know, yep. oh. Like, yeah, no. I hate that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. It's not really a question, just what I'm thinking as we're talking about this, kind of coming off of what Greg said, and um, just the fact that the issues we find with those in the Catholic Church are not all that different from the issues that we would probably find in most Protestant churches in our nation. And so this battle that we have for the truth is not isolated to the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. it's, probably it's probably including most of your Christian friends, and I'm not saying they're not no. Christians, but um, so many churches are not well taught and, um, and allow too much room for our own interpretation and um, loose conviction and, well, I don't want to ruffle feathers if that's what you believe, and we're all good people, and, and I mean, I can't tell you how many churches, no. services I've been to with extended family and whatnot that are just so fluffy that it's sickening. I mean, when you walk away and... Um, talking about what it means to be saved, and there's zero mention of repentance and um, turning from our sin, and, and, and because you certainly wouldn't want to make someone feel uncomfortable by calling them sinful from the pulpit. Um, so just kind of like, not that this is targeting Catholics. I mean, I really think that this whole argument could be for yeah. anyone, you know. We, 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 this is Reformation Day that we're celebrating on Wednesday, it's the reformation we're reminding ourselves of. What are we reforming from? And that's why we, we choose the Catholic Church. We didn't reform from the LDS, you know, Latter-day Saints or, or the Jehovah's Witnesses. We reformed from the, the Catholic Church. So that's why we, we focus on it. And I, think, I don't think I mentioned this in the, the message, but we must continue to reform. We, what the reformers noticed were the most glaring and obvious things. Well, guess what happens after 50 years of teaching on those points? You realize, oh, there was more there that we need to continue to reform. The more we read God's word, whatever we find in it, we need to submit to, we need to obey and follow. And so the Reformation continues. We don't think we've arrived. We've gotten everything perfect. But this is, these are critical, essential, and fundamental issues that we do need to get straight. Okay, uh, I think we have time for maybe one more brief question, if we have it. Although, Donna, I said brief. <laughs> yes, you do need a microphone. <laughs> I don't need a microphone. I'm louder than all y'all. No, I just wanted to say one thing. <laughs> I can be brief. Um, now you're making me forget what I was going to say. <laughs> I wasn't in here, but you were praying about abortions. Did somebody mention the Gosnell movie? If you haven't seen it, I think everybody should see that Gosnell movie. Um, the what? Gos Gosnell's about abortion. Oh, Gosnell. Gosnell. Okay. I thought you said we're saying God is now. <laughs> complete the sentence? Anyway, I just want to say I, I wished everybody could see that movie. It's, it's wonderful. That's okay. all I wanted. I'm, I'm done. Apropos of the prayer request earlier. Yes. Yes. All right. 
Oh, got to get the last word. <laughs> I, I will try. I will try to be brief, but uh, it, it's interesting, you know, as we go through these things. One thing that we brought up over and over is, you know, that it that our faith, a uh, real faith, produces good works. What do we define as good works? So, it, it, I mean, it, it, it's kind of a question. It's kind of a just a, a clarification, but you know, because that is something that we assume. Well. Yeah, we of course we got good works. Well, what are good works? I mean, how, do, how do you define that? Because that's important. Yeah. So real, real briefly, we could make the simplest of all: love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's probably the simplest. But then in Galatians chapter five, Paul says, "I'll tell you what it means. I'll tell you what good fruit is. This is the fruit of the spirit: love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control." And against such things, there is no law. So that's what he says is, look, if you want to know what it looks like, it's like this. And that's what he gives you. So it's not a, you better produce good works and go back to the Old Testament and read all of the law and figure out what good works are. No, come on. That's not the point at all. Now that law points us to something and it's a guideline and it protects us to come to faith in Christ, but it's not this is the height of all righteousness. It's this is the start of righteousness. And good works can produce, be produced in any manifold number of ways, um, such as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc. All right, let me stop there. I'll close in a word of prayer. If you have more questions, feel free to stay after and ask me. And that's it. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you uh, first and foremost for the sacrifice of Christ, for sending him to earth, because nothing of what we're talking about would be possible without his righteousness. Our faith is not the center of our faith. Our faith is centered upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our hope. He is our trust. It is his righteousness that we lean upon, depend upon, And I pray that you would help us to walk day by day in that trust, to set aside the trust that we have in our flesh, to set aside the the trust that we have in our friends, our, our neighbors, our teachers, but to trust primarily in you, first and foremost in you, and to see all of those other good blessings as coming from you. I pray that you would guard us from idolatry. We would not view the things of this world, the gifts of your hand, as what will sustain us and satisfy us, but instead that we would come to Christ alone as the source of our satisfaction. May we see every good and perfect gift coming down from the Father of lights in whom there is no shadow. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Thank you, guys. You're dismissed.